0: Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Velocity Church podcast. We love to
1: hear about life change in our church. So if you have a story about how Velocity has made a difference in your life, send us an email at amen at findvelocity.org. Now sit back and enjoy today's message.
2: Good morning, everybody. I'm I'm Jared, and I am a worship leader, acoustic guitar player in the worship band, Here downtown. I am so excited to share with you this morning because what God has put on my heart to share with you is about my favorite thing in the world and my favorite thing about being a human being, and that is building relationships with people uh, and making a personal connection with other human beings. And so this might be a little bit of a surprise, but I'm not what I would describe myself as like a good prayer. Um, A lot of, I pray every day and I pray with our our daughters, and uh, a lot of my prayers. I feel like are just being thankful. Um, I like to thank God for the blessings of my health, my family, the people that he's put in my life and the opportunities that, that I've been given that I know not, other, not everyone in the world um, has those opportunity. So I really try to kind of remain humble in my prayer, um, and that's often what comes out. So I don't really have a lot of profound prayer in my life, um, but I have had one. And that's actually what my one prayer is going to be about, what I'm going to talk to you about today. So I have a a young daughter. She's six years old. I also have a two-year-old. But about three years ago, uh, when my oldest was a little bit younger, um, I was having a hard time actually connecting with her and building a relationship with her. And what I mean by that is we know actually from science that the most important thing that you can do in a child's life, in anyone's life, but especially young children, is literally just talk to them. Um, interact with them, uh, create uh, some type of an engagement relationship in it. And when that happens with adults, um, it really sets children up for a lot of success later on in life. So even knowing this, I can tell you that talking to a child is actually very difficult to do. And it was really, really hard for me. Um, I like to get in kind of deep conversations with people. I like to go into deep levels. And, and you know, when it's like itsy bitsy spiders and stuff like that, um, it's actually kind of hard for me to do that. So when... Times when I was alone with Natalie, it's just the two of us, I would say our house was probably more quiet than it should have been. Instead of really trying to interact with her, engage with her, build that personal connection, I was doing a lot of this. And it wasn't anything bad. You know, I was looking at Instagram posts, KU basketball message boards, you know, some of the best topics that you can look at on your phone. Uh, But I wasn't engaging with her in the way that I should have been. And then one day, beyond that phone screen, I actually saw a set of beautiful brown eyes that were staring at me, Um, and they were patient, and they were eager and and quiet, and they were just waiting for dad. They were waiting for me to respond, to engage, to have a conversation, just to, to, to sing a song, to do anything, and that's what she was needing from me and what she was craving from me, and I wasn't giving it to her. Um, I don't know if anybody's familiar with the concept of FOMO, but it is the fear of missing out. And the fear of missing out is actually a concept, an idea that's tied to social media. And the idea is that like something else really cool and good is happening somewhere else. And I might miss out on it if I'm not looking at my phone or seeing what the latest social media posts were. Um, I can tell you that FOMO for me is a very real thing. And I experienced that day but it had nothing to do with what I was looking at my phone and it had everything to do with who was sitting across from me and what I was missing out on with her. Um, And so that night I had my one prayer. I literally fell to my knees and I asked God for help. And I said, God, help me look at Natalie. Just help me see her. Help me see her face, see those eyes, see what what she's looking for and longing for in me. And even if I don't have the right thing to say, and even if I don't know what to do, um, you're going you're gonna to deliver that for me. It's all going to happen for me. But I, I need to take that first step, and I really need help just seeing her. Um, and I can tell you without going into too long of details that it absolutely worked Um, I was able to start engaging with my daughter in a different way just because I was seeing her. I was seeing what what was on her face, what she was excited about, maybe what she was scared about, um, what she was encouraged by, uh, things like that. And conversations opened up. And I can say long-term impacts of that on my life have been great. I'm a better father to our two-year-old. I have that better foundation with her early on as a result of this prayer. And I have a better relationship and partnership with my wife, I believe, as a result. And I think I'm a better friend And family member to the people that care about me and that I I care about. So God reminds me of that prayer a lot in my life, and that comes up quite a bit. And one of the biggest things that I found in the last year or so is that there's evidence in the scripture of Jesus modeling this type of behavior for us, and I believe it's what he actually wants us to do. Um, So in Luke chapter 8, You'll see this story uh, throughout the Gospels, but I like Luke chapter eight because it talks a lot about how Jesus responded to this particular uh, scenario. But in Luke chapter eight, Jesus is being brought through a crowd of people to a girl who is uh, a young girl who's actually dying and on her deathbed. There's little hope that she's able to survive. And the last thing is a miracle from Jesus. So they're leading Jesus through a swarm of people. The scripture literally says, crowds of people are pressing upon Jesus um, to save and heal this little girl. Um, and there's a woman in this sea of people and in this crowd of people who actually suffers from her own condition uh, where she has a bleeding condition and she's also uh, been somebody that as a result has been viewed as unclean and and, uh, viewed as someone, she's very lonely, Uh, and she also is kind of at her wits end, and she has faith that Jesus can help her as well but she doesn't want to distract Jesus. She doesn't want to get in the way of his mission, what he's setting out to do and what he's being called to do at that point in time. She just thinks if I can get to Jesus, if I can fight my way to him and put my hand on him and touch him, maybe maybe I can be healed too. Maybe he can do that for me as well. And so she fights her way through the crowd. She reaches out and the Bible says she she touches his clothing and she's immediately healed. Um, That's a miracle in and of itself. I mean, that's absolutely amazing that there's that type of supernatural power in the Holy Spirit that you could just be healed like that. But what truly amazes me about this story is not that, it's that Jesus actually stops in his tracks. He turns around and he says, I, I felt power go out of me just now. What? Who, who touched me? Who was it that touched me? Amongst all these people that are trying to distract him and touch him uh, on his way to save this little girl, he stops and he looks for this woman. And this woman realizing, I'm not gonna get away from Jesus, uh, steps up and says, it, it was me. And she's trembling and she's she's, uh, she's experiencing the Lord. And and. He just stops, and he gets in at her level, and he leans in, and he says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go live your life in peace. And wow, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the, the son of the God that is our Savior. Um, he's on his way to save a little girl, perform miracles, and he stops. He does that for her. He stops. He makes a personal connection with her. Um, we can't perform the miracles that Jesus is capable of. We can only hope that he uses us uh, for our best talents and best skills that we have. But what we can do is take his example and take what he modeled for us and stop and truly see each other and see the needs on the faces of the people that are in our lives. Uh, So that's my one prayer, that we will see each other, be more like Christ in that regard. Thank you so much for hearing me out. Kristen's up next.
0: Hi, I'm Kirsten, and I'm a director with Next Gen Ministries here at Velocity Church. My people in orange, where are you? All right, so um, I'm not like Jared. I don't move, and I do have notes. So I have a math question for you today. It's not hard. Um, if you were given an amount of money for 30 days, would you choose $10,000 every day for 30 days, or would you choose to take $1 on the first day, which would be doubled on the second day to $2, then doubled again on the third day to $4, then on the fourth day, $8, and so on for 30 days? Well, me not being a math major, I said, I'll take that $10,000 every day for 30 days, because at the end of 30 days, I'd have $300,000. I could do a lot of damage with that. But what I discovered is, if you took the dollar the first day that was doubled every day for 30 days, you'd have over $536 million. That's a huge difference. And that's what multiplication is. Um, I was thinking about the kingdom of God and how that related. And we're all called to share our faith with others. And I try to do that. Um, and And... That's great, and I feel like I can add people to the kingdom. But what if the person I tell then tells someone, and they tell someone, and they tell someone? That's multiplication, and that adds numbers to the kingdom at a crazy rate. So how does that tie to my one prayer? Well, I have family members and friends that are not believers They don't believe that Jesus died so that we will spend eternity with our Father in heaven. They don't believe that when you leave this earth, you go one of two places. Um, Jesus gave up his life for us and they don't understand that. This is one of my dearest friends. This is my Father. These are two or three of my children. It's always painful for me to think about anyone not spending eternity with Jesus, Um, but when it's someone close to you, it takes that pain to a different level, an almost desperate level. So, I've tried to get through to them, but they don't hear me. But they might hear you. They might hear what you have to say. The more we share our faith, the more people we we reach. You might know my friend. You might meet my father. You might hang out with my kids. So I was thinking, as I was trying to figure out my one prayer, that maybe this is selfish. Maybe this is self-serving. But God kept putting it in front of me that, no, it's not. This is your prayer. So... My one prayer is that the people of God will be bold in sharing God's promise and God's word with others. We carry the hope of Christ in us. We can't be selfish with that, people. We have to share with everyone so that there will be an explosion of Christians to expand the kingdom. Matthew nine thirty seven and 38, Jesus said, The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into the fields. We pray for those workers, but we also are those workers. God strengthens and equips us to do this. In Ephesians 3, verse 8, Paul says, Though I am the least deserving of all God's people, He graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. And in verse 12, because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. I'm counting on one day someone will come into the lives of my loved ones and show them the truth in God's word that they will have a relationship with Jesus, and that they will experience that freedom. And I'm also praying for myself to have the strength to share and be bold. I'm hoping that maybe one day, I might be that person for someone you love.
1: Well, hey, my name is Josh. And I help lead guest services, and my one prayer is, I'm not ready. I know that sounds strange for someone's prayer to be, I'm not ready, but I live in a house with three girls, so I hear that phrase a lot. (laughs) Granted, they do have a little more hair than I do, so I will give them that. But there have been a number of times in my life where I haven't been ready to face new challenges or adventures, but that's where faith in God has stepped in. I wasn't ready when I moved my family from a small town in southwest Kansas to Lawrence to go back to school. I wasn't ready when I took on a different position at work. I'll be quite honest. I wasn't ready when Pastor Justin asked me to do this five-on-five. I mean, I got no to this guy. was ready. He was up here just roaming around, but I wasn't ready for that. But one of the most notable times where I was not ready was back in 2002. It was the summer between my junior and senior year of high school. And my wife, Amanda, then my girlfriend, had just graduated high school, was getting ready to head off to college. That's when we found out that Amanda was pregnant. Talk about not being ready. I wish I could tell you that my faith pushed me through, but I'll be honest, I didn't really have that strong of a relationship with God during that time. I mean, I was in high school and I had a pregnant girlfriend. I think that pretty much speaks for itself. I did pray, but it was more out of desperation and fear of what was about to come, of the future. So fast forward to about seven months. It was New Year's Eve. Most of the people mine and Amanda's age were out having a good time getting ready to ring in a new year while Amanda and I were in the hospital about to become parents. I laid in that fold-out chair, uncomfortable chair next to Amanda's hospital bed, trying to sleep, but all I could think of was, I'm not ready for this. I'm not ready to be a dad. I don't have what it takes. I thought of the other fathers that I knew, my dad in particular, and I thought, I don't even come close to measuring up to him. But it's moments like these where we second guess everything that God uses those moments to show us what we are capable of and what we can do. The next day, holding Jordan for the first time in my arms, after they cleaned her up, of course, I don't know if you guys have seen the birthing process, but I waited for them to clean her up. Once they got her all cleaned up though, I held her in my arms for the first time and I looked into her eyes and I just felt this calmness come over me. I mean, don't get me wrong, I was still scared to death. Am I holding her head right? Is she breathing okay? But in that moment, I knew that we could do this. I know that we'd be all right. I feel like God uses moments like these where we don't know and don't feel like we're ready. But he takes those moments and helps us accomplish what we have and pushes our faith and pushes us to something great. Take Moses' life, for example. Moses lived as an orphan and dysfunctional family. As he grew up, he ended up fleeing the country where he was from fleeing that land because he didn't know his identity. He didn't feel like he belonged there. Years later, God appeared to him in a burning bush and he said to him, I want you to go back to that land and help free your people. Moses' response was pretty much, I'm not ready, God. He didn't feel like he was the chosen one to pull his people out of Egypt and out of slavery. But God gave him the tools necessary and helped him free his people. We can look at Gideon. Gideon was working in a wheat field when an angel appeared to him. The angel of the Lord told him, it's you that will help Israel defeat the Midianites. But Gideon's response was pretty much, I'm not ready, Lord. He's seen his tribe as the weakest, and he's seen himself as the least amongst his own entire family. But despite his fears, God helped him defeat the Midianites. Even Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, the day before he was to die on the cross for our sins, showed signs of not being ready. In Luke 22:42, Jesus says, Father, if you're willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet yeah, I want your will to be done, not mine. Jesus was pretty much crying out to his father saying, I'm not ready. Each of these stories starts out with someone not being ready. Yet all of them show us how those moments when we're not ready can lead to the purpose that God has prepared for us. Sometimes you might feel like your moment is tough. You might feel weak and unqualified. You might feel like it's impossible. But when you find yourself in one of those moments, I want to encourage you to Get moving. Because when you do, you will see God's plan unfold and see how trusting in him not only changes your life, but changes the lives of those around you. You see, my story might seem like nothing compared to what Moses, Gideon, and Jesus all faced. But when I look at my daughter, Jordan, now that's a 15-year-old, I see what God had in mind all along. Because I get to see the daughter that I wasn't ready to raise be an example of God's love to those in her life. So join me in my prayer, because God doesn't need you to be ready. He just wants you to be willing. Thank you.
3: All right. My name is Heather Shaw, and I am one of the worship leaders here downtown. And my one prayer is that you would use the gifts that God has given to you. So God's given each of us gifts that he wants us to unwrap and use, and making a point to discover Develop and put those gifts to use is a way that we can enact service in the body of Christ. Romans twelve six through 8 says, We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. And it, if it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. You each have natural talents and strengths, qualities that are growing in you and things that you innately know about yourself that are gifts from God. And there are some times that you might feel convicted to do something, to create something, to speak up for something, and this is the whisper of God bringing those gifts to light in those circumstances. I remember once Pastor Justin saying to me, "It's probably about five years ago, he said, if you throw away a gift... If you hide it away, if you leave it it sitting idle and someone gave you this gift, what are you saying about the gift giver? Like I said, this was probably five years ago that he said this, but it struck me so much at the time and made me realize that I'd been listening really intently to what the world said about my strengths and gifts. And in that, I was neglecting what God had carefully placed inside of me. It's easy to let culture trap us like this, especially if you're a people pleaser like me, and you often get caught in the shoulds that others define for you, or maybe that your own mind defines according to what you think others' perceptions might be. What you feel culture says you should do versus what God made you to do are probably going to rarely align. Culture has a lens of success and value that's very linear and very earthly in terms of plausibility and in terms of hope, while what God says is successful, is fulfilling, is happy, is valuable, is beyond linear understanding. It's way far beyond neat five-year and 10-year plans. It's way far beyond rankings, and it requires a whole lot more trust in the beautiful unseen. And I think the struggle to find our purpose, our calling, our gifts, um, figure out who we are and what we're meant to do in this world can really come at any point in life and might even come multiple times in life. But I know that this is really prevalent in people who are leaving the structured safety of school to figure out their next steps. And that was definitely true for me as I had this experience about halfway through my high school experience. I was making a lot of safe choices um, that I knew society would approve of. And the tension I battled was that between living safely and living out my, what I, then I thought to be my passions, but what I now realize to be the gifts that God had given me to fulfill his calling on my life. I've loved creating and singing and painting and making beautiful images and just participating in the art world for as long as I can remember. Like loved it, not just like I enjoy doing this, but this is who I am when I'm participating in these things. I've felt that for my whole life. But each time I would pursue, begin to pursue a serious path that involved one of those things, which was a lot of times, I would hear a voice in the back of my head saying, that is really impractical, that is so useless, that is self-serving, that is unrealistic. A voice would say, who are you to think that you could do something important with those skills? Who are you to think that you, of all people, could be effective using those gifts? And even voices that I really respected in my life, people that I admired told me to my face, you are too smart to do something like that. Why would you choose that field? Why would you spend your short time on earth doing that? And so I listened to those things, and through college and for a few years following, I pursued a career that I could rationalize as a passion, and there was nothing bad about it. It was, it was all good. I even I even loved what I was doing. But over time, I finally slowed down enough to hear God calling me, saying, please would you just trust me? Would you just use the gifts that I've given you? Gifts of creating art, of making music, of leading people, of listening well. Um, He told me that he gave me these gifts, not by accident, um, but that they were valuable and they were important and I was supposed to have them. So your path might be one that you've never seen Play out before or even if you have seen it play out, it's going to be different because it's your path, it's your unique calling that was given to you by the God who created the universe with you in mind. And it's not easy to live that life though. It's not easy to live the life that's God called that God has called you to live. It requires a lot of faith and stepping out of the boat. It requires slowing down and being still enough to hear God and help identify what your boat even is, because what I consider to be a safe boat in unsure waters might be the exact opposite for you. So you really have to listen. And it requires a surrender to God and a willingness to embrace the gifts to play the part that only you can play. When we do not what looks right in the lens of society, but what makes us come alive with the gifts that are God-given and have been inside of us since God designed us, I believe that the world will change and will be fulfilled beyond measure. My favorite verse illustrates this perfectly, and I've seen the fruits of it, of its truth firsthand. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. So my prayer is that you would use the gifts that God's given you and that through that you could experience the life of immeasurably more. Thanks.
4: I'm Doug, and my wife LaDonna and I are directors for small group ministry here at Velocity. My one prayer has to do with freedom. The truth is, I've lived a life of great privilege. The fact of just being born a white male in this time, in this country, in this place, means that I have lived with privilege and opportunities that many people will never know. Privilege that I was oblivious to through most of my young life, and privilege that I never did one thing to earn. Couple that with the love that I grew up with. I had a great home. We never lacked for anything. Even when my dad was a milkman, used to deliver milk to Fog Allen, there was always more than enough. I've lived with privilege, and I have lived with provision. But the truth is, there has been a time in our life when LaDonna and I have had some great struggles. Many of you know us, and you know our family. We had a son that passed away earlier this year that had pretty severe special needs. And his life and the care that he needed was so overwhelming at times that it was uh, crushing. Our family was dealing with his needs, was dealing with his hurt, dealing with a world that didn't care. My sons were experiencing issues with addiction. I had one son that was a beautiful black boy growing up in a white family that was experiencing the loneliness of being alone in that way. And things had gotten so bad that our marriage was dying. It was being crushed and it was failing. But because my father is a good father, he began to do a healing work, not just in my family, but it had to start with me. What the Holy Spirit showed me was that I had been living most of my life in fear. And that was a shock to me. I've never thought of myself as a fearful person. I'm a community leader. I'm a small business owner. I'm a problem solver. I've even helped save the lives of others. But I had been living in fear, and my fear looked like this. I was afraid of failing. I was afraid of being wrong. I was afraid because in the middle of all of these issues and messes in our family that I thought that I had to figure it out. I was afraid of bringing dishonor to my family business. I was afraid for the physical safety of my sons. I was afraid to share my faith with anybody, even my loved ones, my family, my friends. And I was absolutely never going to share my faith in my workplace because as an employee, you don't do that. But because my father is a good father and because he began to do a healing work, he put me in relationship with other men and women. And I began to hear his word in a different way. There are over 50 verses in the New Testament about freedom. But my favorite is the one in Galatians 5.1 where Paul says it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Arise then. Arise then and do not let yourselves be yoked again by a spirit of slavery. For me, I've only begun to live in that freedom. And that freedom for me began when I realized For the first time in my life, who I truly am. You see, I'm not the Doug that you think. I'm not the Doug that the world says I am, or even the Doug that I say I am. I'm not just LaDonna's husband, or Justin, or Caleb, or Zach's dad, and those are great things. I'm not just Doug, the small business owner. I'm not Doug, the townie that's been here forever and knows everybody. I'm not plaid shirt Doug to Pastor Andrew and Pastor Jacob. I'm not the usually nice Doug that many of you know, but I am more than that. See, I'm the Doug that my father says I am. I am Doug, and I am my father's beloved son. I am Doug, and I am a brother to my Lord and Savior and King Jesus. I am Doug, and I am more than a conqueror. I am Doug, and I have been given great power and authority in the Holy Spirit to do good works that my Father designed and purposed for me and me alone to do in my life, works that will give Him glory and me purpose and benefit. I am loved. I am treasured. I am my Father's original masterpiece. I have never been alone, and I will never be alone. I am Doug, and I am free. My one prayer, my one prayer is that you and I will be free. I'm not all there, and I'm not all that. But my last testimony to you about my father's good freedom is this. Earlier this year, my wife and I lost our son, Zach, and I miss him. He used to sit right up there in the corner. The old Doug, the fearful Doug, after losing a son would have been angry, would have been bitter, would have been angry at a world that made his life so hard. But because I am free, I praise my father for my son's life. I praise my father that my son is truly free and so am I. It's a freedom that you and I can have, but only when we know who we truly are to our Father. That's my one prayer. Amen.